Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, it's Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. On today's show, we are in Sacramento for a conversation with the man who is set to follow Anthony Rendon as Speaker of the State Assembly, one of the most powerful positions in state politics. Robert Rivas comes from San Benito County, and his ascension to Speaker will make him the first person from a rural part of California to hold that job. He's set to follow Anthony Rendon as Speaker at the end of June. Assemblyman Rivas, welcome to Political Breakdown. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Uh, as you both know, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Awesome. Very happy Excited to hear that to and have you here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we always like to start with our guests, a little bit about them and their bio, where they came from, how they got here. So we know that your grandparents came to California from Mexico in the 1960s, helped uh, raise you and your brother. What did you learn from them? Well, I learned everything from them. You know, they, uh, my grandfather uh, actually immigrated um, from, from Mexico to California in the late 50s. Um, and he was a migrant farm worker. He spent time in Texas, um, you know, just traveling these western states for, uh, for, for work. Uh, and he was very fortunate. He landed a uh, job at Almaden Vineyards in San Benito County, in a little unincorporated area of the county called Picenas. Uh, and it was there where um, uh, the owner of the company uh, offered him the opportunity to live in um, employer housing. And so it was attractive, a farm worker housing. That was when um, the rest of my family was able to come uh, my mom included, you know, to come to California. And so uh, I grew up with them. I was raised by my grandma, my grandfather, my great-grandmother, my mom, my uh, aunts and uncle. And so I was very lucky to be surrounded by such a loving family who instilled in me those values that I carry with me every single day. Well, I know your grandfather helped organize with Cesar Chavez. It sounds like he was a pretty much a master negotiator. Can you talk a little bit about that? Did you see that side of him growing up? Yeah, he was very, um, you know, he was uh, a you know, a political person, you know, uh, and very much so. He was a strong Democrat. Uh, and he would uh, talk to my brother and I often uh, about why he was a Democrat, because when he was out fighting for, you know, stronger working conditions, higher wages and some benefits, uh, it was our local Democratic Party that was always there for him. And he worked very closely with the Dolores Huerta. Um, and this uh, was in the late 60s during the whole UFW movement. Mm-hmm. Um, where uh, working with the UFW as, you know, they were uh, increasing their membership to help organize the workers there in Almaden Vineyards. And so he was part of the negotiating team. Uh, and it was a Dolores Huerta who uh, always reminds me that, um, you know, he would always charge ahead, you know, that he, you know, um, uh, you know and despite a lot of uh, the circumstances at that time, you know, we lived in employer-sponsored housing. And, and so the fact that, hey, we could have lost our housing right. you know, any step of the way, but he was out there fighting for what he believed in. And that was, you know, those were real issues at that time. You know, water, 
you know, uh, uh, adequate water breaks, you know, having adequate um, bathrooms and some facilities I mean, uh, in the fields. still issues to this day. And they are day. still issues to this day. Yeah. And so certainly, you know, understanding that history uh, and how he really uh, had an impact uh, on, um, you know, his coworkers. Uh, and the fact that uh, Dolores Huerta helped, uh, you know, they worked together to negotiate his very first labor contract right. that resulted in groundbreaking labor protections, higher wages, benefits, a pension. Mm-hmm. Uh, it meant everything not only to my grandfather, but to my family. Yeah. Well, uh, and I'm thinking, not to jump ahead, but, uh, you know, as you worked on bills like that and voted on bills like that for those kinds of rights that your grandfather right. thought of here in the assembly up in Sacramento, you must have thought about him and your family. Always. Yeah. He's, um, you know, he's. You know, uh, always been a role model to me, and, and, and you know he's uh, you know such an important, always been such an important part of my life. It's why I have a his picture hanging in my office, uh, of, you know, alongside a picture of Dolores Huerta, and actually his pay stub. You know, I have a pay stub of his that he gave me before he passed away in the late '80s, uh, where he'd been a farm worker there at Almond Vineyards for uh, about 30 years, uh, and on that pay stub he was earning six dollars and 33 cents an hour. Uh, and he, that pay stub helped support our entire family. You know, there's about eight or nine of us, and and um, and, and it's always a rhyme, you know a reminder for me of where I came from. It puts everything into perspective, and, and, and you know, always you know leading to you know advocate for those who don't have a voice here in Sacramento. You know, fighting for our most vulnerable families, um, because certainly, you know, I had it tough as a kid. You know, we lived in poverty. Um, very lucky, as I mentioned, to be surrounded by a loving family. But there's so many families today, farm working families, um, you know, a lot of vulnerable families that um, have it, that have it much more, you know, that, 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 that have it um, uh, so much um, more challenging, um, you know, in this environment than, than, than I ever did as a kid. Yeah. You overcame a severe stutter as a child. Um, can yeah. you talk about that? And, and how did you you know, work on that, especially given the circumstance you're, you know, you're talking about. And it was a time when I think we had a lot less tools to help kids sure. with that and kind of And less sensitivity to yeah. it. Also. Yeah. And, and so it's hard to say that I've overcome it because I still have it. <laughs> it's uh, something that I've had my entire life. And so, you know, certainly as a kid, uh, it was a stutter that would at times render me speechless, mm. you know, and uh, very difficult to overcome. And, you know, my mom, um, you know, she was always there for me, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, um, through uh, some private therapy, uh, you know, obviously I've received a lot of therapy lessons um, uh, in, uh, you know, in public school. Mm-hmm. You know, I attended someone elementary school and, and, and throughout. Uh, and it's something that, you know, under, you know, just trying to understand, you know, um, what triggers a stutter, mm-hmm. uh, how to overcome it. There's a number of techniques, but, you know, uh, ultimately it's just a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to spend that much more time reading and reviewing any type of talking points. Um, and, uh, you know, just trying to be as comfortable as I can anytime hmm. I speak. You know, we have a governor who has dyslexia. I'm wondering if the two of you have ever talked about, like, overcoming and how do you deal with like, getting around, like you say, learning sure. ways to get around it? Right. Well, so we have had some brief conversations about it. He showed me one time as, as uh, we were driving together. Um, uh, this was uh, when he was on the campaign trail. He had a, a book. And mm-hmm. I want to say he was reading, like, the biography of Bill Clinton. And he opened up the book, and that thing was marked up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's a similarity to myself is, you know, anytime I have to speak or I always mark stuff up. That's why I always carry a, a pen and a highlighter. Nice. <laughs> um, because, you know, it's just, uh, you know, that's the way that, uh, you know. You know, those are those methods Helps you focus. That, 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 you know, yeah, that we need to stay organized and whatnot. Yeah. So you 
uh, end up going to CSU Sacramento for undergrad. I don't know if that's before or after you became an on-call firefighter in Hollister. Was yeah, so that? that was after. Okay. So after, yeah. Well, you want to tell us anything about being a firefighter? I mean, that is such a huge issue in this state, and I feel like that is a different uh, route than a lot of folks <laughs> in it, colleagues of yours maybe took to, sure. to your role. Sure. Well, I always you know, had an interest in politics. I always had an interest in government. Um, as you mentioned, I went to uh, um, Sacramento State, and my major uh, was government. I always felt that, you know, um, I wanted to, you know, work uh, in public service, um, just didn't know in what capacity. And so I was always very active um, in, in campaign work, and, and, um, uh, but certainly had an interest uh, when I graduated. Um, I took a year off before I went to grad school, and so I went to the fire academy. I was hired by the city of Hollister to be a pay call firefighter, work I did for about five or six years. It was very challenging because it was during the Great Recession when fire departments were laying off firefighters. But it's, you know, a service uh, and and experience that, uh, you know, I'll certainly never forget. Putting out fire is going to help you when you're speaker? (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Assemblyman Robert Rivas, the next speaker of the Assembly in the state of California. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. We're up in Sacramento talking with Assemblyman Robert Rivas. The Central Coast Democrat will soon hold one of the most powerful jobs up here, Assembly Speaker. And Assemblyman, um, you got elected in 2018, and your wife, Kristen, wrote an opinion article on your behalf, and she talked about being a Republican. Uh, tell us how the two of you work through those things. And Yeah, uh, you're not the only ones who have these <laughs> dinner time conversations, I right, think. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, you know, I... 
uh, I love my wife, you know, and, and certainly she. <laughs> it's always a good, good start. start. Good start. <laughs> she, uh, you know, she has her own viewpoints, as do I, yeah. you know, and, you know, our relationship is, you know, based on uh, our love for one another and, and for our daughter, not um, not our politics and, and certainly not our work, you know, and so I'm very proud, you know, of, um, you know, uh, all the work that uh, she does. You know, um, and how flexible she's been and how forgiving she is because of how challenging, you know, my job can be. And, in you know, the sense that, you know, I spend a lot of time away from home. You know, that's the most difficult part of this job is just missing out on so many special moments with, with, with my family, with my daughter. But I'm very proud. You know, she understands, you know, how passionate I am to represent my community. You know, and, and, and certainly I've, this is my 13th year in elective office. I have a record. I'm proud of it. And, and you know, certainly, um, you know, excited to ensure that uh, we continue to do good work. So you mentioned your young daughter. I know you guys have also fostered children. That is a lot to take on. Just talk about the family yeah. dynamics and like what it's like being a working dad with this commute and yeah. trying to show up for them um, as well. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it, it, you know, and as I just mentioned, the hardest part of this job is, um, just missing out on so much at home. And, you know, I have, as I often say, I have one daughter and and we have been foster parents. um, That's uh, a big thing to take on. Sure. And and I can not even handle one child. And so, (laughs) uh, you know, and so I see how attached my daughter is to, you know, my wife and to her mother. And so that's why when I, you know, some of my colleagues, you know, especially, you know, Buffy Wicks or Rebecca Barakehan, Akilah Weber, so many of my my, um, uh, women uh, colleagues who have children and have a couple, two or three children, you know, how much pressure it is for them, uh, it, I, I couldn't imagine. Um, and, and how challenging it is for them to, to you know, uh, go home every evening. Um, and, and, and so really appreciate and it gives, you know, really me that perspective and, and, and really should give that perspective to others as well. But, you know, it is very challenging, but certainly it's, you know, especially when it comes to having the opportunity to foster um, some youth, there's such a need out there. Mm-hmm. And there's so many families that um, have nobody. There's so many children that have nobody. And so for us to just do our, our small part, um, you know, has been a very rewarding experience. We mentioned you got elected to the state assembly in 2018. Before that, you were on the board of supervisors in San Benito County, a county that you know probably a lot of people aren't that familiar with. You know, uh, the famous scene in Vertigo uh, was was shot there. Scott uh, loves that. I fact. love that film. I've been up that bell tower several times. Um, but uh, tell us about it, and because it, you know, it's a it, it is a relatively rural county. Um, you know, maybe a lot of farm, a lot yeah. of farm folks, and maybe not quite as uh, politically progressive or liberal, the people who live there, as the coastal folks who many see as elitist. How do you deal with that? Uh, How do you explain where you come from and the values, if you have to, to your members? So I really appreciate you acknowledging that many people don't know uh, where San Diego County is. So when I was a county supervisor and I'd come up to Sacramento for training or whatever it was, or even in my first few weeks here in in Sacramento as a member of the assembly, I'd often have people um, ask me how life was in San Bernardino County. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's only two hours away from here. <laughs> and then one of my colleagues, when I was when I was elected in the assembly, one of my colleagues who was a new supervisor in San Bernardino County sent me a screenshot uh, and said, "Hey, you weren't lying." And his CSAC nameplate said, "You know his name." San Bernardino oh County. <laughs> this is the California State yeah. Association but, of Counties. They should know of all people, right. right? And so, you know, but all kidding aside, you know, San Bernardino is my home. And I am very lucky to call San Bernardino County and really the Central Coast um, home. It is, a, you know, a, a beautiful region, a lot of rolling hills, a lot of open space. It, uh, San Bernardino actually is one of the top two fastest growing counties uh, in the state. Um, and I think during the pandemic, uh, I 
you know, we uh, have some new neighbors around us that came from San Jose because they had the flexibility. And so it was the first time they'd visited San Mateo County. They fell in love with it, and now uh, they're residents there. So we're very lucky to call it home. And, and But, you know, I should remind you, um, um, and I've had this conversation with the governor, uh, so goes San Benito, goes the state of California. Yeah. Yeah, we all consider a bellwether. For the presidential uh, elections, yes, I think, yes. more than anything. More than so how anything. are things looking for Dems and Republicans <laughs> in 24 then? <laughs> no, you know, and so I have, as a lifelong resident, I have seen the changes, and I've seen the political changes as well. Uh, my first job out of college, I worked for Assembly Member Simone Salinas, who um, was the first Democrat ever elected in this Assembly seat. Uh, he narrowly defeated Jeff Denham. It was a purple district. Hmm. And in, you know, since then, that was 2020, 20, you know, fast forward to, you know, 23 years later, and you have had a district that has gone from purple to dark blue. Hmm. Um, families such as my own, farm working families um, that have spent now a couple generations in this region. Uh, and, you know, these generations care about different things, climate change. You know, we care about, um, you know, um, you know, access to uh, health care. You know, we talk about the divides between urban and rural areas, you know, and, and um, here in California, we have to lead in all areas. Uh, and so certainly championing and accomplishing what the governor wants uh, around creating this California for all. It requires heavy investment in all parts of our state. And so I'm happy to, to be here. If you would have asked me as a kid that I would one day serve in the state legislature from San Benito County, having grown up in Farmer County, I wouldn't have thought it possible. And so I think I'm the third only San Benito County resident ever to serve in the legislature. Uh, and so I'm, you know, humbled by that, you know, by this opportunity. But it means nothing unless, you know, we advance, um, you know, those interests in, 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 in really those issues that are important to our region. Well, we talked a little bit about farm workers at the top, but I feel like, you know, that is such a huge economy in your um, district. It is one where we've seen in recent years or months, really, tragedies kind of show how much folks within those communities are living on the edge. I'm thinking about the mass shooting in Half Moon Bay, the levee break um, in your district. What... Like, what are your priorities when you think about sort of where your grandfather was, you know, 30, 40 years ago and what needs to happen to support these types of workers now? Sure. You know, we have a lot of work ahead, you know, and I think when I, you know, uh, was elected and I got here my my, my first uh, few weeks in 2018, 2019, uh, I knew coming from local government, I had to be flexible, you know, uh, flexible in the sense of, of, of what it was I was going to focus on. And when I got here, it was housing and homelessness. The governor made it very clear. And so what I experienced was no one was really talking about solutions on how we address California's housing crisis in rural areas. And for us, you know, we have – and I know it because I experienced it. I grew up in critically overcrowded housing with, with – you know, and, and it was a tract, as I mentioned, of, of farm worker housing. I lived there with my grandparents, my mom, my brother, my uncles, my, 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 my aunts. You know, not very many people can say that they shared a bed uh, the first 10 years of their life with their brother, their mom, and great-grandmother at times. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I experienced it. Uh, but when you talk about housing today and how California's housing crisis, uh, what it looks like in rural California, it is a humanitarian crisis. You know, in a, a report I read uh, a couple of years ago, San Benito County and Monterey County together lead the state in critically overcrowded housing. Right. So it's housing insecurity. I mean, that's kind of invisible homelessness right. in a way. That's right. And, and we were just, I was on the ground with the governor um, a month ago uh, when he came to Pajaro. I really appreciate him engaging. And um, I did a subsequent visit there and met, met with our local OES. And reports had said, hey, about 2,500 residents have been displaced. 
And local OES folks have said it's close. That that number is closer to five thousand because of the overcrowded problem. Right. You four or five families to a single family home, just these makeshift shacks uh, that um, uh, are shelter for families. Uh, and so certainly, you know, when it comes to our region, a lot of the issues that um, that that we knew to address, uh, it is you know, um, is they. You know, trying to do something around this historic underinvestment around infrastructure, as we know, this breach in Pajaro. We've taken action on that front, working with Senators John Laird, uh, last year Assemblymember Mark Stone, the governor signed uh, really an unprecedented bill uh, to waive the requirement uh, that there's a match of, uh, you know, a, a, uh, a match of funds for the infrastructure from the local community because it's disadvantaged. They can't afford it. Right. So the state's going to front those monies. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we had these unbelievable uh, atmospheric rivers and we just didn't beat the um you know the construction yeah you know uh, we talked about housing and you know homelessness and those issues exist in rural places but they maybe express themselves in different ways and you know urban places like san francisco fentanyl is a huge problem i know the legislature just recently had a hearing on a number of bills how do you see that problem in your district and how is it different from what we might see in san francisco or la Right. And so what's unique about the fentanyl is uh, really there's no differences in urban or rural areas. This is a crisis. And it's a crisis unlike we've seen before. This, 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 you know, the amount of deaths that are being experienced, the overdose. This is, you know, this is a very, very urgent crisis. Um, and, you know, we need to be utilizing every tool possible uh, to get ahead of it. And, you know, we obviously want to get it right when you talk about you know, what are those possibilities? Is it, you know, um, you know, treatment services and access? Is it, you know, life-saving interventions? Is it stronger enforcement? Um, you know, w- we have to figure this out and we have to figure it out very quickly. You know, prior to my time in the legislature, I worked at the largest high school in San Benito County. It's uh, San Benito High School, Hollister High School now. Um, and I was, um, in my capacity, I was essentially dean of discipline. I, I, and, um, you know, I, it was the same high school that I attended. The culture, the environment was much different. And, you know, certain of those issues that students were dealing with um, were much different. Um, and, you know, access to drugs and, and, and whatnot was a huge problem. Uh, and since, you know, uh, my time there and I've transitioned to the legislature, you know, I've had at least three students overdose and die. Um, because of this, ep- because of this epidemic, and because of this fentanyl crisis, and so this is um, you know a crisis that no community is uh, untouched. Uh, it's impacting everybody, and it requires the highest level of urgency. So you are going to be taking over a speaker this summer. We still have a speaker, so I know you don't want to step on his toes, but there's been a few months since this vote, and so I assume you've been planning this transition, thinking about it. Have your thoughts changed at all about the job? Like, how are you using this time to prepare? Yeah, so we have um, been using every minute of this time to prepare, and we'll certainly be as prepared as possible um, when the transition takes place on June 30th. And you know, I'm humbled at the opportunity to serve. You know, and um, um, you know, we've been working very closely. Um, my staff has been having uh, these daily meetings with the speaker's office, and you know, certainly very appreciative and thankful uh, to uh, the speaker's office and their staff for being so professional and, and helpful. You know, and because, you know, at the end of the day, California, our residents, they deserve nothing less. You know, the speaker's job is a very important job. It's a significant leadership role in state government. Um, and we have, um, you know, a job to do. Uh, 40, over 40 million Californians are, are expecting us to, um, to lead. 
uh, and to uh, address some significant challenges. And so I look forward to having this opportunity and working with uh, a historically large and diverse caucus <laughs> to do it. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. We're talking with Democratic Assemblyman Robert Rivas. He's set to become Speaker of the Assembly at the end of June. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm wondering, uh, you know, as you've been thinking about being speaker, uh, like what do you have, what are your priorities going to be? And, and have you thought, do you want to be a, have different priorities than the current speaker? Sure. You know, I, you know, acknowledge that I'm my own person. I'm, I'm going to be my, um, you know, my own speaker. And, um, you know, certainly appreciate uh, all of this, you know, all of the success in recent years uh, under Speaker Rendon and hope to build on that success. But, you know, for me, you know, I'm going to look to be a unifier. I'm going to work every day to bring out the best of my colleagues. Um, and uh, for me, it's, 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 you know, working to uh, ensure that we become a results-driven caucus. Uh, and there's no shortage of issues or crises. Um, you know, for me, it's about, you know, having that same uh, attitude and perspective when I got here uh, as a, a new member of the assembly from the Central Coast, from San Diego County, about doing all we can to expand opportunities for all Californians uh, and now to ensure that the legislature, that the state assembly is running in, uh, in, uh, in an effective way. You know, certainly um, we know that in, in, in my first, you know, five plus years working with Governor Newsom, I mean, you, you can make the argument that no state legislature, that no governor uh, has faced such challenges as he has. One crisis mounted after another, an unprecedented pandemic, wildfire, it can go from drought to too much water. Uh, and so for me, I think the number one top of mind issue is just affordability. You know, too many Californians, this is, I believe, the third year, uh, consecutive year where California is losing population. Uh, and so that tells me, and it's 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 across the board. All uh, income levels are uh, impacted and, and are leaving California. Uh, and you know, as we talked about, my story, my grandparents, my family immigrated here because they believed in California. They believed in the California dream. This was a state where you know, if one worked hard, you create opportunities. Uh, I'm a product of that. I'm a product of the California dream, and we certainly have to do a lot more to ensure that opportunity here in California is still possible for this generation and future generations. You know, you can't win elections without money. <laughs> and um, you and many of the members that supported you were also supported by a fundraising network called Govern for California. Your brother, uh, Rick Rivas, advises them. Why do you think that group, which was actually created by a former Arnold Schwarzenegger advisor, kind of as a counterpoint to union power in California, has been so supportive of you and your speakership? Right. You know, um, I, I'm I'm proud to you know receive support from you know so many different sources and organizations and and groups uh, and government of California is no different you know um, I can tell you that in 2018 I when I was running for assembly uh, I helped uh, as a local member of the assembly I, or as a as a county supervisor I helped lead an effort to, to ban fracking um, we did it in San Benito County which wasn't an oil um, a producing county, but we had experienced something with a local independent uh, operator, uh, oil operator, and then we led the effort to ban fracking in Monterey County. We were both successful. And so when I ran for assembly, uh, uh, I was hearing rumblings that I, I was, you know, um, that I wasn't a viable candidate because mm. um, uh, oil companies were going to come after me. And they came after me. <laughs> they spent nearly a million dollars to distort my record. Um, and, um, uh, you know, unexpected. And, uh, you know, it was. Uh, three uh, entities. It was um, 
uh, labor, it was uh, environmental, um, uh, the community, and governor for California, mm-hmm. who came to my aid. You know, they did, they, it was like this independent effort. Um, I was very thankful for it. Um, it made all the difference for me because it helped me, um, you know, really push back. I couldn't, you know, I didn't have the resources to fight back, right. you know, against, uh, you know, the million spent. I'm proud of, of, of the work we have done here. Uh, knowing that um, in the work that we do, how challenging it is. I represent a district with a lot of disadvantaged communities. Uh, and so I um, you know, am proud of the money we have received. I've, I think in, since I opened up my first uh, account, um, I raised nearly $4 million. Less than 3% of that has come from government of California. Yeah. Let me ask a brother, a brother question, a drill down in the spirit of fracking. Um, your brother also is an advisor to the American Beverage or Association was, or was, you know, which is, of course, you know, soda has really, you know, big soda uh, has gone head to head with the legislature on things. How do you, do you feel like, uh, like, how are you going to answer any questions or concerns people have about a, either a conflict or an appearance of a conflict? Sure. You know, as I mentioned, this is my 13th year in elective office, you know, and, I love my brother. You know, he, um, you know, uh, is... And his wife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and he, you know, but certainly he has his own career. Um, and, you know, uh, and I have my own career. Uh, he's always been a part of my kitchen cabinet. Um, and when appropriate and whenever uh, I'm going to need him, I'm always going to lean on him for uh, that political advice. You know, he's not a lobbyist. He doesn't lobby me, mm. uh, and and he never will. Uh, and, and, and clearly in this role, as I mentioned, this is my 13th year. Like, I, you know, have always understood um, and have always respected those those ethical and legal lines that must be maintained. Um, that will never change. Um, and certainly as Speaker of the Assembly, you know, um, um, I look forward to engaging with, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, all stakeholders. Yeah. We're almost out of time. Yeah. Quick question. Uh, we mentioned Vertigo. Uh, did you see that film when you were a kid? Is that something? Unfortunately, that... I didn't see that film, but there's an incredible coffee shop in San Juan Batista, the Vertigo Coffee Shop. So and that's my connection. And the coffee is so strong, it makes you dizzy. <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, Assemblyman Rivas, thank you so much for coming in. We know you're going to be taking over the big job in uh, just a few weeks, and we hope to have you back after you've I look forward you know, had a few months or maybe a year of that under your belt, but we really appreciate you coming Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. You bet. That's it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer today is Christopher Beale. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. For more politics coverage from KQED, you can subscribe to the Political Breakdown newsletter. That's at kqed.org slash newsletters. I'm Marisa Lago. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And if you're in the Bay Area next week, come join us for a live conversation with former speaker and Mayor Willie Brown. You can find tickets at kqed.org slash events. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time, everybody. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 